Hey guys, it's Brie. You are listening to Brief, and this is episode two of The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. We will be covering chapters seven through 20 and going over themes, which I know sounds like a lot, but the last few chapters are really short. So a couple notes. Sadly, Danica is not going to be on this episode with us for no other reason than scheduling issues. So it's just me, but the upside is that I get to say Basil instead of Basil, and she can't make fun of me for it. Chapter seven. The men get to the theater and Lord Henry obviously scoffs at the place because it's beneath him. And Dorian tells Basil that he is afraid of Lord Henry because he's so cynical. They sit down, the show begins, Sybil comes out, and Lord Henry observes that she actually is as beautiful as Dorian said she was. It says on page 85, she was certainly lovely to look at, one of the loveliest creatures Lord Henry thought that he had ever seen. And it says that she moved like a creature from a finer world. But her acting was dreadful. It says she showed almost no emotion at all, and Lord Henry and Basil were both disappointed. Dorian begins to panic. He doesn't understand what happened to her amazing acting. At intermission, Lord Henry tells Dorian that she's beautiful, but she can't act, and he gets up to leave. And Dorian apologizes to both of them for wasting their time. He's very embarrassed and angry and upset. And Basil tries to make him feel better by suggesting maybe she's sick. And Dorian says she seems totally different than she was last night. On page 87, Dorian says she seems simply callous and cold. This evening, she is merely a commonplace, mediocre actress. And the men leave and Dorian stays till the end. After the show, he goes backstage to see Sybil. And when she sees him, she says on page 88, how badly I acted tonight, Dorian, and she's happy about it. Dorian doesn't understand and she explains to him that she can never be good at acting again because she's so in love with him and that's her reality now so she therefore cannot act anymore. On page 90 she says, you brought me something higher, something of which all art is but a reflection. You have made me understand what love really is. You are more to man than all art can ever be. Dorian is distraught obviously and he exclaims on page 90, you have killed my love. And then he goes into this rant. It's very cruel, and I'm going to read the whole thing only because it's quite possibly the meanest breakup I've ever heard in my life. So it goes like this. He says, You used to stir my imagination. Now you don't even stir my curiosity. You simply produce no effect. I loved you because you were marvelous, because you had genius and intellect, because you realized the dreams of great poets and gave shape and substance to the shadows of art. You have thrown it all away. You are shallow and stupid. My God, how mad I was to love you. What a fool I have been. You are nothing to me now. I will never see you again. I will never think of you. I will never mention your name. You don't know what you were to me once. I wish I had never laid eyes upon you. You have spoiled the romance of my life. How little you can know of love if you say it mars your art. Without your art, you are nothing. I would have made you famous, splendid, magnificent, what are you now? A third-rate actress with a pretty face. <laughs> and I honestly can't believe every time I read that, I'm like, oh my gosh. If someone said that to me, I think I would die. He did not have to do her like that. So poor Sybil freaks out, obviously. She starts apologizing, tells him that she was only thinking of him, begs for forgiveness, she says on page 91, don't be cruel to me because I love you better than anything in the world. She says this is the only time she's ever disappointed him. She'll try her hardest to act again. She won't be foolish. She's basically begging, which 
I'm like, girl, get up off the ground. He's not worth it. Dorian looks at her with what is described as exquisite disdain. He says on 91, there is always something ridiculous about the emotions of people whom one has ceased to love. And he gets up to leave and he tells her, he says, I don't wish to be unkind, but I can't see you again. You have disappointed me. He leaves, he walks around the city for a while, and then he goes home. He looks at the portrait of himself, and he realizes there's a slight difference. On page 93, it says, The face appeared to be a little changed. The expression looked different. One would have said that there was a touch of cruelty in the mouth. He looks at himself in the mirror, sees that his actual face has not changed at all. He realizes what this must mean. He had wished for this, obviously, that he would remain young and innocent forever and the painting would take on his age and his burdens and his cruelty, apparently. When he realizes that the expression in the painting is cruel, he wonders if he had been cruel to Sybil. And I'm like, duh. But he says to himself, he said it was her fault. She had disappointed me. She had been shallow and unworthy. And so he doesn't understand it, but he feels a tiny bit of regret. But then he remembers his own suffering, which is way more than what Sybil could have suffered. He says he remembers something Lord Henry said about women and how they just loved the drama of relationships and they are better suited for sorrow. And he thinks to himself on page 94, why should he trouble about Sybil Vane? She was nothing to him. So he watches the portrait for a while, trying to convince himself that it hadn't changed, but it definitely had. And he realizes that not only will it take on his age, but also his sins and burdens and everything else. So he vows to never sin again. He'll resist temptation, live a spotless life, because he doesn't want the painting to change any more than it already has. He decides that in the morning he'll go back to Sybil, apologize to her, marry her, and try to love her again, because that's his duty. And he realizes that he finally, he realizes he was selfish and cruel to her. And he covers the portrait with a blanket and he walks outside. It was dawn now. And it says on 95, he thought of only Sybil. A faint echo of his love came back to him. He repeated her name over and over again. Chapter 8. Dorian wakes up the next day at 1 p.m. His butler brings his mail and he ignores a letter that he received from Lord Henry because he has vowed to not take his advice anymore. He checks on the painting and knows now that it has definitely changed, though he was hoping he had been imagining it before. On 98, it says, The portrait that Basil Hallward had painted of him would be a guide to him through life, would be to him what holiness is to some and conscience to others, and the fear of God to us all. Here was a visible symbol of the degradation of sin. Here was an ever-present sign of the ruin men brought upon their souls. Lord Henry arrives that afternoon to make sure that Dorian is okay after last night. He asks him if he and Sybil had an argument. Dorian says they did. He says he was cruel to her, but now he's decided he'll go back and marry her because that's his duty. Lord Henry doesn't quite understand, and he asks, did you not get my letter? And Lord Henry tells him that Sybil Vane is dead. Dorian is shocked and upset. Lord Henry tells him there will be an investigation and asks if anyone at the theater knows his name or saw him with Sybil last night. Because the death was not an accident, apparently she was going to leave with her mother, but she turned back to get something. But really, what she did is she went and drank what is basically acid and killed herself. It seems like she died instantly. Dorian says, so I have killed Sybil Vane. 
And then he goes into this huge long speech about his feelings. Basically, he feels like Sybil's death is a representation of love. It's like a tragic love story that she acted out on stage, but real life instead. Dorian feels mostly numb. He wonders why he can't feel much about it at all. He thinks about how selfish it was of Sybil to kill herself. This train of thought he goes through right now, you guys, is really terrible. But it's super interesting how he gets from A to Z, I guess. So he thinks about how it's selfish of Sybil to have killed herself. He says on 103, It seems to me to be simply like a wonderful ending to a wonderful play. It has all the terrible beauty of a Greek tragedy. A tragedy in which I took a great part but by which I have not been wounded. Lord Henry obviously has an entire speech about this. He says that he wishes someone had killed themselves over loving him. He's jealous that Dorian gets to experience that. And he talks about how there's something beautiful in Sybil's death. And he says on 105, She has played her last part. The girl never really lived, and so she has never really died. To you, at least, she was always a dream, a phantom that flitted through Shakespeare's plays. Mourn for Ophelia, if you like. Put ashes on your head because Cordelia was strangled. But don't waste your tears over Sybil Vane. She was less real than they are. So delusional. It's crazy to... I just... Yeah, anyway. Dorian thinks on this for a long time. And then he tells Lord Henry that he's right. And he is relieved that he doesn't have to feel guilt. They decide that they will not talk about it again. And that tonight they're going to go to the opera. And Lord Henry leaves. Dorian looks at the portrait and sees that it hasn't changed because it must have known about Sybil's death before Dorian did. He vaguely thinks about locking it away in a room so that no one will ever see it again. He also considers for a brief moment praying to undo it all, but decided against it because who wouldn't want to stay young and beautiful and unspotted from the world for eternity? On 108, it says, The portrait would be to him the most magical of mirrors. It would reveal his own soul. Chapter 9. Basil comes to see Dorian the next day. And he's surprised to find him completely okay and unbothered by everything. And he is disgusted when he finds out that Dorian went to the opera the night before. He assumed that Dorian had gone to see Sybil's mother and asks how she's doing. And Dorian's like, stop talking about it. He didn't go see her mom. Like, I don't want to talk about it. On 109, he says, if one does not talk about a thing, it has never happened. It is simply expression, as Harry says, that gives reality to things. So Dorian says a lot of things in this chapter. I'm going to read a few of them because I want you to understand how much his philosophies have changed or I guess intensified in order to condone what he's done and what happened and his not feeling guilt about it. Dorian says that the past is the past and Basil's like, you call yesterday the past? And on 110, Dorian says, what has the actual lapse of time got to do with it? It is only shallow people who require years to get rid of an emotion. A man who is a master of himself can end a sorrow as easily as he can invent a pleasure. I don't want to be at the mercy of my emotions. I want to use them, to enjoy them, and to dominate them. Basil cannot believe how changed Dorian has become in the last 24 hours. He tells him he wishes he could have the old Dorian back. When Dorian confirms to Basil that Sybil did in fact kill herself, Basil says, how fearful. And Dorian says, there's nothing fearful about it. It is one of the great romantic tragedies of the age. He talks about actors and how they usually lead commonplace lives, but Sybil got to live out her finest tragedy, and he calls her a martyr. And then he addresses Basil's concern that Dorian himself is unaffected by it all. 
He says on 111, you must not think I have not suffered. (laughs) If you had come yesterday at a particular moment, about half past five, perhaps a quarter to six, you would have found me in tears. I suffered immensely. Then it passed away. I cannot repeat an emotion. So like if you had come yesterday for this like 15 minute window, you would have found me crying. But then I got over it. His speech ends with him telling Basil that he values his friendship, doesn't want to lose him, and Basil agrees to not speak of the tragedy again. And he asks if they've come to investigate. Dorian tells him no, they don't even know his name. And then Dorian asks if Basil will paint him a picture of Sybil so he can remember her. While he's asking him this, Basil tries to uncover the portrait of Dorian. Dorian obviously freaks out, tells him that if he tries to look at that picture again, their friendship is over. Basil is super confused by this, and he tells him that he wants to showcase it, and Dorian refuses. He reminds him that he didn't want to in the first place, and then he makes Basil tell him why he didn't want to in the first place. Because if you remember right at the beginning, Lord Henry and Dorian both suggest that he display it at art galleries, and he very, very strongly says no. So he asks this question, and for a slight moment, Dorian thinks that Basil knows that the painting is changing, but then Basil confesses his reason for not wanting to display it in the first place. He says that he put too much of himself into it, that he was obsessed with Dorian. Now, a note on this. In the uncensored version of the book, Basil confesses to more than just being obsessed with Dorian. He tells him that he has never loved a woman and that he worships Dorian, quote, with far more romance of feeling than a man should ever give to a friend. So in the edited version, they try to make it seem more about the art than sex. But I just wanted to let you know, in the uncensored version, it is more about him being in love with Dorian as opposed to the art of it all. Basil agrees to never look at it again if that's what Dorian wants. He asks Dorian to sit for him again, and Dorian says he never will. And after Basil leaves, Dorian decides that he has to hide the painting so that no one will ever try to look at it again. Chapter 10. Dorian has his servant go to the frame store to get some men to come help move the painting. And he calls his housekeeper and he asks her for the key to the old schoolroom, which hasn't been used since his grandfather died about five years ago. He covers the painting with a big blanket and he thinks about how the painting will always be alive. And he regrets not telling Basil the truth because he knows that Basil would have helped him and especially helped him resist Lord Henry's temptations. So the frame men show up. The owner, his name is Mr. Hubbard, is one of the men, which apparently he never leaves the shop for house calls except for Dorian Gray because on 121 it says, there was something about Dorian that charmed everybody. It was a pleasure even to see him. So Mr. Hubbard comes with his assistant and Dorian tells them he needs help taking the painting upstairs as it is with the covering on it so that it won't get damaged. On the way upstairs, Dorian thinks about the painting and the possibility that if he does enough good in his life, the painting would lose its sinister look. He thinks for a moment that then he wouldn't have to hide it, but then he remembers that it's also going to age, and so it has to be hidden from everyone, including himself. So they take the painting upstairs to the room, they place it against the wall, and Mr. Hubbard asks if he can see the painting. Dorian tells him that it wouldn't interest him. As they leave, Mr. Hubbard's assistant looks back at Dorian and it says on 124 he had never seen anyone so marvelous he's just he's so beautiful no one can even handle it so Dorian locked the door and he said he felt safe on 124 it says no eye but his would ever see his shame which is so true in this book okay 
He goes back down to the library and he sees that Lord Henry has sent him a letter, a clipping from the newspaper, and a book. Lord Henry's note said that he sent him a book that might interest him and he invited him to meet him at the club at 8.15 that evening. He also marked a passage from the newspaper. It was about Sybil's investigation. It says that her death had been ruled death by misadventure, which in England at the time means accident due to a risk that was voluntarily taken, which is basically a roundabout way of saying suicide. Dorian is obviously bothered that Lord Henry would send him this, but reminds himself that he did not kill Sybil. It wasn't his fault. So he opens the book uh, that Lord Henry sent him. It's a yellow book, and he becomes absorbed in it very quickly. He says it's the strangest book he's ever read. It follows the life of a young Parisian man, and on 126 it says, A man who spent his life trying to realize in the 19th century all the passions and modes of thought that belong to every century except his own. And to sum up, as it were, in himself the various moods through which the world spirit had ever passed, loving for their mere artificiality those renunciations that men have unwisely called virtue, as much as those natural rebellions that wise men still call sin. So it's kind of a nonsense book, but it's about, you know, pursuing passion and pleasure above all else. Dorian cannot stop reading it, even though he sees it as a poisonous book, is what he calls it. But he loses track of time, and he's 45 minutes late to meet Lord Henry. He apologizes and tells him how fascinated he is by the book, and Lord Henry is obviously pleased that he likes it. Chapter 11. This book influences Dorian for the rest of his life. In this chapter, it tells us that over the years, he has changed his character immensely. So years have passed. We don't know how many. On 128, it says, Even those who had heard the most evil things against him, Dorian, could not believe anything to his dishonor when they saw him. He had always the look of one who kept himself unspotted from the world. Dorian finds himself going to look at the portrait often through the years, comparing himself in the mirror to the grotesque man in the portrait. On 129, it says, He grew more and more enamored of his own beauty, more and more interested in the corruption of his soul. And he studies the face. It says, wondering sometimes what was more horrible, the signs of sin or the signs of age. Very rarely, he thinks about how horrible the portrait is and thinks about how horrible the things he's done are, but he only cares because the portrait is taking it all on. He doesn't like to look at it because it makes him think about all the things he's done. There are a ton of rumors about his dark behavior, but people don't believe them when they see Dorian because he's so beautiful and innocent looking and he hasn't aged or anything. He thinks about Lord Henry and his belief in hedonism, which I think we discussed in the beginning is basically just the pursuit of pleasure is the most important thing. So he thinks about that and he thinks about his own belief, which is to never accept any theory or system that would involve the sacrifice of any mode of passionate experience. That's on 131. Dorian reads up on like all the theories of the time, finds them all fascinating but he mostly sticks to hedonism. It says he's in constant search of new experiences and new sensations. He has devoted his life to the study of things that are beautiful to him, like perfume, oil, music, instruments, jewels, stones, fabric, tapestries, all that kind of stuff. And he collects them obsessively. On 137, it says, as he investigated the subjects, and he always had an extraordinary faculty of becoming absolutely absorbed for the moment in whatever he took up, 
He was almost saddened by the reflection of the ruin that time brought on beautiful and wonderful things. So he's obsessing over beautiful things and how they get old and ruined over time, which is interesting because he is quite possibly the only thing in the world that will not become old and ruined over time. So he thinks about all the beautiful things in history that have been lost to time by being destroyed or deteriorated and wishes that they could live young forever like himself. All of these treasures that he collects serve as a distraction from the agonizing fear that he feels about the portrait that's hidden in his home. It says he would go weeks sometimes without looking at it and without even thinking about it, but then he would always find himself back there after a time. It says on 140 that he would find himself sitting in front of the picture, sometimes loathing it and himself, but filled at other times with the pride of individualism that is half the fascination of sin and smiling with secret pleasure at the misshapen shadow that had to bear the burden that should have been his own. Eventually, he gives up traveling for long periods of time because he's so paranoid that someone is going to find the portrait. He has to be near it. So he gives up traveling, even though nobody even knows where it is, and he has barred the door so nobody could get in anyway. He becomes so paranoid, though, that he picks up and leaves parties because he's become suddenly overcome with fear. At this point in his life, many people distrusted him. There were rumors about him, and they were becoming worse and worse. It says that women who once adored him were seen leaving the room when he walks in. So on 142, it says, Yet these whispered scandals only increased in the eyes of many his strange and dangerous charm. His great wealth was certain was a certain element of security. Society is never ready to believe anything to the detriment of those who are both rich and fascinating. So nobody will believe ill of him, even though they hear all these terrible things. He reads stories of people from history who had sinful tendencies. He becomes enthralled with them. And on 146, it says, Dorian Gray had been poisoned by a book. There were moments when he looked on evil simply as a mode through which he could recognize his conception of the beautiful. Chapter 12. The night before Dorian Gray's 28th birthday, so about 10 years after the portrait was painted and 10 years after he stopped aging, Dorian is walking home and he runs into Basil on the street. He tries to pretend he didn't see him, but Basil catches him, and they go back to his house. Basil tells him that he'd been waiting to see him, but he had to leave because he's catching a train to Paris. He's going to Paris for six months to paint, but he tells Dorian that he has to talk to him about something. On 149, he says, you should know that the most dreadful things are being said against you in London. Dorian scoffs at this, he doesn't care what people say about him, but Basil tries to get him to care about keeping his good name. He tells him that he doesn't believe the rumors. On the same page, he says, I can't believe them when I see you. Sin is a thing that writes itself across a man's face. It cannot be concealed. Basil proceeds to tell Dorian the things he's heard and asks him why a certain man leaves the room when he walks in. And why did a man that he dined with last week tell him that Dorian is, quote, a man whom no pure-minded girl should be allowed to know and whom no chaste woman should sit in the same room with. That's on 150. Basil asks him why his friendship is so fatal to young men in particular. He gives multiple examples of boys whose lives have been destroyed after befriending Dorian. One boy even committed suicide. One boy ruined his career and they've all met dreadful ends and no one will associate with them anymore. Dorian tells Basil to stop talking. He's like, stop talking about things that you don't know. He tells him that it's not his fault that these people have ruined their lives 
and Basil tells him that it's his influence over them that turned them to madness. Then he mentions Lady Gwendolyn, which is a girl that apparently Dorian had a thing with. And Basil says that not a breath of scandal had ever touched her until she met Dorian. And now there's not a decent woman in London who would spend time with her. There's stories of Dorian creeping around in disguise in the foulest dens of London. And on 151, it says, they say that you corrupt everyone with whom you become intimate. Basil tells Dorian he wishes he could see his own soul, but only God can see that. And Dorian laughs. And he tells him that he'll take him to see his soul. He can see it. It's upstairs. Dorian is excited to finally show someone his secret. Basil doesn't understand, obviously. Demands an answer to the questions and charges made against him. But Dorian tells him to come upstairs and he'll find the answer. Chapter 13. They walk upstairs to the old schoolroom. Dorian tells Basil that he's happy that Basil wants to know his secrets. He says on 154, You are the one man in the world who is entitled to know everything about me. You have had more to do with my life than you think. So they go into the room. Dorian (laughs) uncovers the portrait. Basil screams in horror as he looks at the painting. And he realizes that it's Dorian's face under all the wrinkles and the sinister look. He recognizes his brushwork, but he couldn't understand how that could have come from him. He looks to Dorian for answers, but Dorian is staring at Basil as if he were watching a particularly captivating play. And Basil asks what this means. Dorian reminds him of the wish he had made the day the painting was finished. Basil says that it's impossible and suggests that maybe the paint had been poisoned or the painting was damaged in some way. Then Basil says, you told me that you had destroyed it. And Dorian says, I was wrong. It has destroyed me. Basil realizes that if this is true, if the painting has actually taken on Dorian's sins and age and everything, that he must have done worse things in his life than even the rumors say. And Basil sees that Dorian is crying and he suggests that they pray for repentance. On 157, Basil says, I worshipped you too much. I am punished for it. You worshipped yourself too much. We are both punished. But Dorian tells him that it's too late. And then suddenly, Dorian is overcome with hatred for Basil. It says on 157, he loathed the man who was seated at the table. More than in his whole life, he had ever loathed anything. And he grabs a knife and he rushes at Basil and stabs him in the back of the neck over and over again until Basil stops moving and is clearly dead. Dorian stands still for a few moments and he walks out of the room and listens over the landing to make sure that no one heard. He goes back in the room. He sees, he calls it the thing seated in the chair. He feels strangely calm. And he opens the window and stands on the balcony and watches the street for a while. When he comes back into the room, it says on 158, he did not even glance at the murdered man. He felt that the secret of the whole thing was not to realize the situation. The friend who had painted the fatal portrait to which all his misery had been due had gone out of his life. That was enough. Dorian leaves the room, locks it behind him, goes downstairs and puts Basil's bag and coat in a locked chest thinks about how he's going to burn them later. He thinks about the situation and the likelihood of him getting caught, and he realizes that there's no evidence against him at all. Basil had left his house at 11, and no one had heard or seen him come back. Basil had left and taken the midnight train to Paris, and he was to spend six months in Paris, and he's a recluse. No one would be suspicious for months. Dorian thought of a good idea, got up, grabbed his coat, walked outside, and then rang the bell until his valet opened the door. He told him he forgot his key, asked what time it was, 
It's 2, 10 a.m., so he's making an alibi. He asks if anyone called. He says Basil did, but he left at 11, didn't leave a message, said he was leaving to Paris, and that he would write Dorian. Dorian tells his valet, Francis, to go back to bed and wake him at 9. And he goes to the library, grabs his blue book, and finds the man he wants to call. His name is Alan Campbell. Chapter 14. Dorian wakes up the next day from a dreamless sleep. It takes a while for him to remember the events from last night, but when he does, he's filled with hatred for Basil again. And on 161, it says he winced at the memory of all that he had suffered, he himself. It says he was determined that he would not think about what had happened until it became absolutely necessary that he should do so. He eats breakfast. He writes two different letters. He gives one of them to his servant, tells him to take it to Alan Campbell, and he puts the other letter in his pocket. Now, Alan Campbell is a young scientist who Dorian used to be intimate with, but they're no longer friends. On 164, it says, They had been great friends once, five years before, almost inseparable. Then the intimacy had come suddenly to an end. When they met in society now, it was only Dorian Gray who smiled. Alan Campbell never did. So, vague, we don't really know what happened, but we can guess. When Alan Campbell arrives, Dorian tells him that he needs him to do something. Alan says that the only reason he came is because his letter said it was life and death. Dorian knew that what he was about to ask Alan to do was dreadful. You can, I'm sure, guess what's coming next. He tells him that there's a dead man upstairs in a locked room. He's been dead for 10 hours. He says on 166, don't look at me like that. Who the man is, why he died, and how he died are matters that do not concern you. And Alan tells Dorian, he's like, stop. I don't want to hear anything more. I don't want anything to do with this. Dorian tells him, he's like, you have to help me. You're the only one who can help me. He says he wants him to destroy, he calls it again, the thing. He wants him to destroy the thing upstairs so that nothing of it is left. Alan tells Dorian, he's like, you're mad to think that I would help you with anything, let alone getting rid of a body. And he accuses Dorian of doing the devil's work. In defense, Dorian tells him that it was suicide, which obviously it wasn't. And Alan asks who drove him to it. Alan says again he'll have nothing to do with it and that he doesn't care what shame comes to Dorian. He gives like a huge long speech about it. And after his speech, Dorian confesses that it actually was murder and that Dorian killed him. On 167, he says, you don't know what he made me suffer. Whatever my life is, he had more to do with the making or marring of it than poor Harry has had. Alan tells him, he's like, I won't tell anyone, but I'm not going to help you. Dorian again pleads with him, but in the end, he ends up blackmailing him. So whatever Dorian had written in the letter that morning, the one that he put in his pocket, has secrets that could destroy Alan, and if Alan refused to help him, he would send it. So nothing is really said about what the blackmail is, but we can assume that it had something to do with homosexual behaviors. Because around that time in history, laws were passed that made homosexual acts punishable by death and or prison time. So that's at least what I assume, but it could be something different. So after Dorian tells him this, Alan knows he must help him. He asks if there's a fire upstairs. There is, and he sends Dorian's servant to his house with a list of things that he needs. Dorian, after a while, tells Alan that he has saved his life. The servant comes back with the things that he needs. The two men go upstairs, and Dorian isn't planning on going inside the room, but he remembers that he has to cover the portrait. And when he goes in to cover it, he sees that there seems to be a red dew that gleamed wet and glistening on one of the hands. And he covers the portrait. As he leaves the room, he wonders if Alan knew Basil. Late that night, Alan finally finishes and he comes downstairs. He says he's done what he asked him to do and he hopes they never meet again. Dorian thanks him 
and when he left, he went upstairs and saw that the thing that had been sitting at the table was gone. Chapter 15. Dorian goes to a dinner party at Lady Narborough's house. He thinks about what he has just done and finds himself excited but calm. It says on 173, he could not help wondering at the calm of his demeanor, and for a moment he felt keenly the terrible pleasure of a double life, which is crazy because I feel like he's been living a double life this entire time, so why would he feel it more now than before? Anyway, he finds the party boring, so he's happy when Lord Henry shows up. They talk about marriage and about how women love men for their defects, and if they didn't, no man would ever get married. Dorian, though, can't eat anything. So Lord Henry asks him what's wrong. He says nothing. They talk about the party. They talk about the party that Dorian is having at his country house soon. And Lord Henry casually asks where Dorian was the night before. Dorian freaks out, gets defensive, and decides to leave the party after that. When he gets home, he burns Basil's belongings because he'd forgotten to do that. And it says he has a craving. So he gets up and opens a cupboard and takes out a canister of opium. But he's almost out, so he dresses in common clothes, is what they call it, and gets a driver to take him to the slums, which basically where the opium dens are. Chapter 16. On the drive, Dorian remembers the word that Lord Henry spoke to him on the first day they met. On 182, it says, To cure the soul by means of the senses, and the senses by means of the soul. Yes, that was the secret. He had often tried it and would try it again now. There were opium dens where one could buy oblivion, dens of horror where the memory of old sins could be destroyed by the madness of sins that were new. So Dorian, he's needing to cover up what he's done and how he feels. And on 182, it says, Though forgiveness was impossible, forgetfulness was possible still, and he was determined to forget. His next step is to justify what he's done. It says on 182, what right had Basil to have spoken to him as he had done? Who had made him a judge over others? He said things that were dreadful, horrible, not to be endured. So on this drive, he's just trying to justify again what he's done. The driver drops him off at a den and Dorian walks in. He finds a man named Adrian Singleton. Adrian is one of the boys that Dorian corrupted, I guess. They talk for a minute, but Dorian's uncomfortable and wants to leave. And a woman presumably a prostitute, comes up to them. She knows Dorian from past years, tries to proposition him, and Dorian ends up giving her money to leave them alone. He says goodbye to Adrian and goes to leave, but the woman, the prostitute, yells after him, calling him a devil. Dorian curses her, tells her not to call him that, and she says, Prince Charming is what you like to be called, ain't it? And a drunken sailor jumped up from the bar and looked at the door just as Dorian went out of it, and he gets up and follows. As Dorian walks in the dark, he thinks about whether he should feel guilty for what he did to Adrian, but he is interrupted in his thoughts because he is seized from behind, thrown onto the ground, and held at gunpoint. Dorian asks what the man wants. He says his name is James Vane. He says on 188, you wrecked Sybil Vane, and Sybil Vane was my sister. She killed herself. Her death is at your door. I swore I would kill you in return. For years I have sought you. I had no clue, no trace. The two people who could have described you were dead. I knew nothing of you but the pet name she used to call you. I heard it tonight by chance. James Vane tells him to make his peace with God because he's going to kill him. And Dorian tries to lie, tells him that he's not the same man. He grasps for anything that could help him. And then he gets it. He says, how long ago was this? 
James says 18 years ago, and Dorian tells him to take him into the light for 18 years ago, it could not have been him. James takes him into the light and sees his mistake instantly. This man is maybe 20 years old and could not be the man who destroyed his sister 18 years ago. He apologizes and lets him go. James walks back to the den and the woman asks, she's like, why didn't you kill him? And he says it was a mistake. The man is too young to be the man I'm looking for. The woman tells him that she met that same man 18 years ago. On 190, it says, they say he sold himself to the devil for a pretty face. It's nigh on 18 years since I met him. He hasn't changed much since then. James is obviously furious that he was tricked and he rushes back, but Dorian is already gone. Chapter 17. A week later, it's Dorian's party in his country house in Selby. He's talking to Lord Henry and the Duchess of Monmouth about beauty. The Duchess thinks Lord Henry puts too much importance on beauty, so Lord Henry does his thing and talks all about it. On 192, he says, I admit that I think that it is better to be beautiful than to be good, but on the other hand, no one is more ready than I to acknowledge that it is better to be good than to be ugly. Then they start talking about love. Lord Henry says that people have one great experience in their lives and they just have to recreate that as much as possible. When Dorian gets up to leave, Lord Henry calls out the Duchess for flirting with Dorian, tells her that she has competition because Lady Narborough is making a play at Dorian too, which is crazy because they all the things they hear about him and they still want him. As they speak, they hear someone groan and fall and they rush to find Dorian has fainted. They take him onto the couch, and when he wakes up, he asks Harry in a panic if he's safe. Lord Henry tells him he better not come to dinner, but Dorian insists that he can't be alone. So he goes to his room to get dressed, and he is terrified as he remembers what happened. It says on 196, pressed against the window of the conservatory like a white handkerchief, he had seen the face of James Vane watching him. Chapter 18. Dorian stays locked up in his house for the next day. It says, sick with a wild terror of dying and yet indifferent to life itself. He goes through stages here, first terror and then disbelief. He starts telling himself that he's crazy to think he saw James Vane in the window. It was just an illusion. And it says on 197, the mask of youth had saved him. Three days later, he finally ventured out to walk the grounds and have breakfast with the Duchess. He joins the hunters later. He sees a hare and thinks it's beautiful and tells them not to shoot, but one man, Sir Geoffrey, shoots anyway, and they hear two cries, the cry of the hare in pain and the cry of a man in agony. They realize there must have been a man out there. They're all pissed because who would be so foolish to stand in the line of fire? And Dorian feels sick at the idea of another death. So the men find the man, grab him, find out that he's dead, probably instantly, and they carry him back to the house. Dorian tells Lord Henry that this is a bad omen, and Lord Henry tells him not to worry, that nothing bad can happen to Dorian because he has everything in the world. And on 201, Lord Henry teases him about his relationship with the Duchess, but Dorian tells him there's nothing going on. He says, I wish I could love, but I seem to have lost the passion and forgotten the desire. I am too much concentrated on myself. During their conversation, Lord Henry mentions that he'd love to know someone who had committed a real murder. Dorian grows faint. He's taken back to his room. The head housekeeper comes in later to talk to him about the man who was killed, saying that he was not a man in their party and they don't know who he is. And Dorian gets out his checkbook and asks how much he should send to his family, if he has a family. 
and the servant mentions that he looks like a sailor and he has tattoos on his arms. Dorian realizes what this could mean, and he asks the servant to take him to the barn to see the man. And when he sees the dead man's face, it says on 205, a cry of joy broke from his lips. The man who had been shot in the thicket was James Vane. And finally, he feels safe. Chapter 19. An unknown amount of weeks pass, and Dorian goes to visit Lord Henry. He tells him that he's determined to only do good for the rest of his life, and he tells Lord Henry that he has spared somebody. The story is that he found himself a woman named Hetty. She was quite beautiful and wonderfully like Sybil Vane, but she was not one of their own class. She was just a village girl. Dorian says he really loved her and that they had planned to go away, but suddenly, he says on 207, I determined to leave her as flower-like as I had found her. So, falls in love with this village girl, says they're going to run away together, and then he dumps her, and he thinks that this is a good deed. (laughs) So Lord Henry tells him, he's like, you broke that girl's heart, which is not a very good deed. Dorian says, Hetty's heart is not broken. Of course she cried and all that, but there is no disgrace upon her. Lord Henry points out that this girl will never be content now with a lesser man than Dorian, a man of her own rank, and he tells him that this was not a really good deed. And Dorian gets angry. On 207, he says, Do not try to persuade me that the first good action I have done in years, the first little bit of self-sacrifice I have ever known, is really a sort of sin. So they change the subject. They talk about Basil's disappearance because people know now that he has disappeared. Lord Henry also mentions that Alan Campbell has committed suicide. Dorian asks what Lord Henry thinks happened to Basil. He kind of swerves the Alan Campbell comment. It says that Dorian wonders how he could discuss the matter so calmly. Lord Henry says he doesn't know what happened to Basil, but if he's dead, he doesn't want to think about it. Dorian asks if Lord Henry has considered that Basil might have been murdered. Lord Henry's like, there's no way. Basil wasn't interesting enough to have enemies. And then Dorian gets brave and says, what would you say if I told you that I murdered Basil? Lord Henry says that he would think he was posing for a character that didn't suit him. He tells Dorian that murder is too vulgar for Dorian. On 209, he says, It's a crime that belongs exclusively to the lower orders. I don't blame them in the smallest degree. I should fancy that crime was to them what art is to us, simply a method of procuring extraordinary sensations. And Dorian asks if he thinks that a man could murder more than once. And Lord Henry says that he definitely could if it becomes a pleasure to him. And he says again on 209, That is one of the most important secrets of life. I should fancy, however, that murder is always a mistake. One should never do anything that one cannot talk about after dinner. Then Lord Henry tells him that Basil stopped being a good artist when Dorian stopped being friends with him, which we obviously know why that is. And he asks about the beautiful portrait and remembers that Dorian had lied to him and told him that it was lost. Dorian tells him that he never really liked the painting. Lord Henry changes the subject and says... On 211, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So they discuss this, and Dorian tells him that the soul is real and it can be poisoned. And Lord Henry asks how Dorian has kept his youth all these years. He says on 212, to get back my youth, I would do anything in the world, except take exercise, get up early, or be respectable, (laughs) which is same. So he then commends Dorian on his way of living and how well he's done. Dorian tells Lord Henry then that he poisoned him with that yellow book. He tells him to never give it to anyone else. 
and Lord Henry tells him that's impossible to be poisoned by a book. On 214, he says, Art has no influence upon action. It annihilates the desire to act. It is superbly sterile. The books that the world calls immoral are books that show the world its own shame. Dorian leaves and tells Lord Henry that he'll visit him the next day. Chapter 20. Dorian goes home. He thinks about what Lord Henry had said and if he can actually be good or not. And he thinks about the girl he dumped, whether or not that was really a good deed. And he thinks about the portrait and how back then he had wished it would take on all his burdens and age. On 2.15 it says, All his failure had been due to that. Better for him that each sin of his life had brought its sure swift penalty along with it. There was purification in punishment. Not forgive us our sins, but smite us for our iniquities, should be the prayer of man to a most just God. He thinks for a long time, and he comes to despise his own beauty, and he decides that it's better to not think about the past. On 2.16 it says, It was the portrait that had done everything. The murder had been simply the madness of a moment. As for Alan Campbell, his suicide had been his own act. He had chosen to do it. It was nothing to him. He wonders if he can become good, if the portrait will change back and lose its disgustingness. Then he wonders if it has already changed for the better because of his good deed with that girl. So he goes upstairs to look at it, locks the door behind him. And on 217, it says he could see no change, save that in the eyes, there was a look of cunning and in the mouth, the curved wrinkle of the hypocrite. He realizes that it must have been vanity or desire for a new sensation that made him do his good deed. And he realizes that maybe only confessing to the murder will be the thing that saves him. But he can't confess. The picture is evidence and he decides he must destroy it. He grabs the knife that he used to kill Basil. And on 218, it says, It would kill the past, and when that was dead, he would be free. It would kill this monstrous soul life, and without its hideous warnings, he would be at peace. He seized the thing and stabbed the picture with it. The servants in the house and the people on the street heard a scream and a crash. The servants tried to get into the room, but they couldn't. So finally, they climb up on the roof and drop down onto the balcony of the room and break through the balcony doors. And it says on the last page, They found hanging upon the wall a splendid portrait of their master as they had last seen him, in all the wonder of his exquisite youth and beauty. Lying on the floor was a dead man in an evening dress with a knife in his heart. He was withered, wrinkled, and loathsome of visage. It was not till till they had examined the rings that they recognized who he was. It was Dorian Gray. And that's the end. Okay, so now I'm going to quickly go over the themes The first one we're going to talk about is aestheticism, which aestheticism is emphasis on beauty rather than deeper meaning. So art for art's sake. So it was a movement, I guess. Um, They wanted to free art from the responsibility of having a deeper meaning and just be able to enjoy art for its beauty. They believed that art's only purpose should be being beautiful. So throughout the novel, there are two works of art that are emphasized, the portrait of Dorian Gray and the yellow book. And both of these works of art have a deeper meaning and purpose. The portrait is Dorian's downfall. Obviously, it's his soul. He blames it for all of his sins. For if it weren't for the painting, he would have had consequences for his actions. 
which he didn't. So he thinks that that was the thing that changed him, which maybe it did. And Dorian says that the yellow book poisoned him. So because of their role in the novel, you could argue that Oscar Wilde used them as a cautionary tale as to what happens when we give art meaning and purpose instead of just letting art be beautiful. This philosophy, though, would mean that the picture of Dorian Gray is a novel with a purpose only of being a beautiful work of art and that there's no meaning or moral lesson. It's just beautiful. Okay, the second theme is the value of youth and beauty, which is similar to the first. Throughout the novel, Lord Henry maintains that beauty is the most important thing in life. He convinces Dorian of this very easily. And once Dorian starts doing vulgar and sinful things, he occupies his mind with the study of beautiful things. And then he becomes obsessed with the idea that everything in this world gets old and decays, and he himself is the only thing that doesn't. So anyway, that's the value of youth and beauty. Okay, the last theme, which I think is the most important, or I guess it's my favorite, is duplicity and living a double life. So this is a theme that is easily seen in most of Oscar Wilde's works, especially the play The Importance of Being Earnest. If you haven't read it, I suggest you do. Oscar Wilde himself was forced to live a double life. He was gay in the 1800s, so he couldn't be open about that. And Dorian is the living embodiment of leading a double life. He is literally the personification of duplicity in my eyes because he is one person on the outside and a totally different person on the inside, but his inside is just shown so easily in a portrait. So he gets to see, while staying beautiful and young, he gets to see his darkness, I guess. So unlike most people, he's able to keep his public and private lives completely separate because of the portrait. Then there's the obvious influence Dorian has on young men. He's clearly engaged in sexual relations with these men, I guess. And he is able to keep this part of his life a secret because no one believes that he would do that while the other men are ruined by the rumors that are spread. Society is also eager to believe only good things surrounding Dorian because he looks so innocent and beautiful and also because he's wealthy and beautiful, wealthy, innocent looking people are incapable of doing horrible things. In addition, there are strong sexual undertones of Dorian's relationship with Basil Hallward as well as Lord Henry. Did they ever hook up? Who knows? But both Basil and Lord Henry were obsessed with Dorian on a level deeper than friendship. Remember that all of the blatant references to homosexuality were removed prior to publication, but for those of you interested, you can buy the uncensored version. But anyway, living a double life is literally what the picture of Dorian Gray is. And it's what Oscar Wilde had to do. So it's interesting to me that all of his, well, not all of his works, but the ones that I've read of him, I guess, all have the same theme. So basically Dorian lives a double life and he's able to do that so well because the portrait hides everything on his dark side. All right, that's the end of The Picture of Dorian Gray. I hope you loved it as much as I love that book. Go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram and message me if you have books coming up that you want me to summarize because I will do that for you.